Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Katie Dahlgert, who is an 18-year ulcerative colitis warrior. She is a fellow food lover and fitness fanatic and is currently enjoying her fourth year of being medication-free. Though she still experiences bad days while battling a chronic illness, She's dedicated to finding her optimal health through nutrition and exercise. She's been sharing her journey with ulcerative colitis, fitness, nutrition, and her family online and is here today to share her story, what the journey has been like, and how she's fighting IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katie, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get into all the questions I have for you about what you're doing now and how you're managing ulcerative colitis. Why don't you start, because you've got 18 years of battling ulcerative colitis. So go ahead and start by sharing your IBD story and the lead up to your diagnosis. Sure. Um, so I think as similar to most folks that have had problems with IBD, you know, it started young, didn't really know what was going on. I just know that after I ate most meals, I would end up in the bathroom for a good amount of time. Um, my family actually used to think I was doing it on purpose to get out of doing chores in the dishes, but <laughs> truth was I was just having issues every time I would eat food. Um, didn't know what was going on. I had never heard of colitis before that. Um, and then once I was in college, uh, maybe 21, 22, I started to experience um, bleeding and mucus with um, passing stools. And that was something that was not normal for me and very concerning. Um, my mother is a nurse, and so she actually didn't know what was going on either, but said, this is not normal. We need to get you to a GI and, and have this looked at. Uh, first visit in the office, they gave me a flex sig and diagnosed me right there on the spot. I was 21, had no idea what colitis was, had never heard of it, and it was very scary to be given um, an unfamiliar diagnosis with a lifelong chronic illness at that point in, in time. Wow. So you got the diagnosis pretty quickly right off the bat. Correct. Sounds like. Yep. So what kind of treatments did they start you out with? Tell me a little bit about that progress because you have progressed so much from there. So tell me a little bit about that journey from after you got diagnosed. So the first, I mean, they start with kind of the least invasive. So we started with a lot of suppositories and um, enemas and things of that nature. My case was fairly mild to begin with, so they were trying to treat it more locally. It was really um, contained more within the rectum and the colon and not really going up through the, the GI tract at that point. So we did that for a course of a couple of months. Um, it kind of contained flares but didn't really eradicate everything. So um, maybe after about six months, we started doing some of the misalamines. Um, I started on Azacol back then and was doing that, I want to say, four four pills uh, once a day for about a year or two. And that really did help push me into remission. I didn't have to do any steroids at that point or anything like that. It was, it was pretty mild, which was wonderful. So to mm -hmm. me at that point in time, I said, oh, this isn't a big deal. I took some medicine. I'm good. I can just continue to lead, lead my life. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? It's 
I actually had a wonderful period of about six years of remission, full remission, oh, wow. no issues, no medication, nothing like that. Um, and then in about 2008, things really went downhill quickly. Um, I just started to have a lot of pain, lots of bleeding. I lost a ton of weight, um, went back and they said, nope, you are in an active flare. And that started the four-year train of hardcore mesalamines and steroid treatments um, probably three to four times a year to try to manage it. And, uh, and I had a probably a good four-year stretch um, with no remission. It was just up, a lot of ups and downs trying to control things. So that was very difficult. So tell me how you got from there to where you're at now, because as I mentioned in the beginning, you're medication-free. So tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about what prompted your desire to do that and how you embarked on that journey. So, I mean, personality-wise for me, if I feel out of control, I like to do a lot of research and be, arm myself with a lot of information. So when I was for, first diagnosed, there wasn't a lot of information about IBD, Crohn's and colitis alternative treatments, things like that. It was just something people didn't really talk about, or at least mm -hmm. that I could find. Um, so at least by like, you know, 2011, 2012, it was a little bit more mainstream. I got in contact with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America and met some great people through there, did some fundraising events, but, you know, actually got to connect with other folks and talk about what they did, how with their diagnosis and their story, um, and really built a community of other folks to, to understand what their process was and some of the things they had tried. Um, at that point, things were still kind of iffy on my treatment, and um, they started talking about introducing biologics. And that was something that honestly really scared me. Um, mm -hmm. Just personally, I had read a lot of the literature. The side effects scared me. The thought that, you know, I was going to have to be doing this indefinitely um, was something that I wasn't comfortable with. And then this also happened to be right at the time where I started having children. So for me mm -hmm. personally, I said, I don't want to start that hardcore of medication while I'm, you know, I'm pregnant and, you know, the next couple of years while we're having children. So it was something my doctor and I talked a lot about. Um, and I said, I really wanted to start to explore alternative options to traditional medicine that I thought were going to be safer for the point in time I was in my life. How did your doctor respond to that? Um, because I, I know that some physicians can be pretty mixed. Some are very supportive and some are not. Did you have one that was supportive? Um, I think with certain things, like when I said I was going to try like acupuncture and things like that, she was fine as long as I didn't go off my medication. She said, if you think it'll help and it'll help relax you, that's fine. Um, but when things got really down to it, and I, I will say I have a great relationship with my GI. She's somebody that I actually work out with outside of, mm -hmm. <laughs> outside of all of this. So I have, a, I know her very well. Um, <laughs> you know, so this is not, this is not a, a, a negative on her, but, um, you know, yeah, so when she's going to hear that, this. No. <laughs> she may. <laughs> when, um, when she told me that biologics was my next step and I said, there's no way. And she said, well, you're being stupid. And I said, I understand from your perspective that this mm -hmm. is your job to tell me that, but this is my life and I have to do things that I'm comfortable with. And I understand that you're looking at this through a very specific lens of treating a GI issue. I want to look at my total health mm -hmm. and I want to see, I don't, I don't yet know or feel comfortable with how those kind of treatments at this point in my life may affect me in 5, 10, 15 years down the road. So it's not something I'm comfortable with and it's not something I'm going to do until I get to the point that I'm comfortable with. And we argued about it, but ultimately she respected my decision. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so tell me how you navigated from there. Did you have any resources in mind that you were going to look towards or any idea on how you were going to navigate this medication-free process? 
So it kind of actually happened by accident at first. Um, again, I mentioned most of this started when I started. I have three children. Um, when I was pregnant with my first, I ended up with a really bad case of, of C. diff um, in and out of, you know, hardcore medications for the entire pregnancy, which was really scary with your first child. Um, mm -hmm. I had actually lost about 20 pounds in my first trimester, which was very scary. Um, wow. So that, you know, having gone through that whole pregnancy on medication, on steroids, on antibiotics, um, you know, the baby was fine and everything and there was no issues. But when it came around to the second one, I was like, I'm, I'm not doing this again. This is, again, something I'm not comfortable with. It makes me really nervous. Um, I was a lot more nauseous with my daughter, my second uh, pregnancy. And when I kept trying to take my maintenance meds, I would just throw them up. So at one point in the pregnancy, I just said, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this. And then I'll just, I'll deal with whatever happens. And when I get back on, you know, I'll get back on after I have the baby. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of the lucky ones that pregnancy pushed me into remission. Um, prior to that, I was not having any success with getting into remission, but pregnancy did push me into remission. And I think keeping that with the breastfeeding and staying off of birth control medication for me worked. So I do think mine is somewhat hormone driven. Um, and, you know, through that pregnancy, nursing, and then my third pregnancy, I, I was completely symptom free, no issues at all. Wow. Um, so I said, okay, well, this is working without medication. Let's, let's just continue to ride this as long as we can. Um, and that's what I did. And I've, I've never gone back. Um, during that time, wow. I also definitely made changes to my diet and things of that nature to, to maintain it. It wasn't just, oh, I'm mm -hmm. going off medications. Everything's fine. Um, I did do a lot of work in terms of trying to determine what my trigger foods were. I've tried SCD. I've tried paleo. I've tried low FODMAP. I've been on every diet under the sun um, and just tried to identify what things seem to trigger flares or even, you know, just uncomfortability in, in myself and what I need to remove and, you know, the things that are that are healthful and, and make me feel good. So, it's you know, mm -hmm. that's a, I'm sure most folks know what that's like. It's a long, <laughs> stressful <laughs> trial and error process. It definitely is, but it's worth it once you get through it. Absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about the diets because I think it was just uh, not too long ago you shared a picture on your Instagram of all of the different diet books that you had just mentioned, like the SCD mm -hmm. and the paleo and all these different things that you had tried. Do you think one more than the other or maybe a combination of all of them helped you through that process of really figuring out what the trigger foods are and what your safe foods are? Absolutely. For me, it's a combination. And I know everyone's makeup is different. If I followed any of them strict to the letter, it, it didn't really help me um, mm -hmm. because I knew there were certain foods that I didn't need to avoid. And there were certain foods in there that they said you could have that I know I can't tolerate. So um, for me, I've kind of created a mix. I do feel best on when I do a paleo type diet. So mostly, you know, proteins and um, vegetables, fruit. I do try to limit sugar. I limit dairy. I don't do any alcohol. And uh, even with the three kids under five, I really do try to limit caffeine. That one's a little rough for me, but I try. <laughs> How do you manage? <laughs> That's why I exercise. That helps pick up. Uh, that, that wakes me up a little bit. Um, I'm not saying I'm caffeine free. I was for years. Um, but mm -hmm. since the last year, I've probably, I try to stick to no more than two to three caffeinated drinks a week. Um, okay. So just on the days that I really, really need it. Um, but I found most of it for me was a habit. So I liked getting my, I don't drink coffee, but I like drinking my tea. And so instead I'd switch mm -hmm. it out for a decaf and it's okay. I still have the habit of going in, getting my tea, putting my, you know, my milk in it and making it a morning treat, um, just kind of removing the caffeine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I still think it's important 
most of these diets aren't sustainable unless you can find ways to not make it feel restrictive and not make it feel like a punishment. Um, so being able to still enjoy things that you like, like I love sweets and sugar is definitely something I have an issue with. So I try as much as I can, probably 80, 20, um, mm -hmm. you know, if I want to have dessert instead of having something, you know, a piece of cake or a cookie or whatever, now I'll opt to have, you know, a piece or two of dark chocolate, something like 70% or over, um, because it's enough of a sweet that I feel satisfied, but it's not going to be too much that it's going to irritate my stomach. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point to make is to be able to find ways to tweak some of these things, use them as guidelines, but to be able to tweak them so that it's sustainable for you so that you don't go crazy wishing right. you had a sweet treat <laughs> for the rest Absolutely. of your life. We're still human. I mean, you still have those uh, cravings and things. And, you know, sometimes exactly. I want a piece of pizza. And so sometimes <laughs> I may have a piece of pizza. You just know what you're getting into. <laughs> exactly. Or I think it's for me. And again, I know my case, my case tends to be alternate between moderate to mild and every now and then it gets serious. So I know mm -hmm. I'm in a, I'm not in the same boat that a lot of other folks are in. So I, I can be a little bit more lenient with my diet. I notice that, you know, if I'm starting to have flare symptoms, which I'm currently experiencing, I really pull back and get more strict. And then if things are okay, then I might add in a few cheat days here and there. Um, and, you know, give myself a little bit of leeway. But being able to maintain that balance has still kept me off of medication and kind of kept me out of surgery and some of these other these mm -hmm. other kind of things that we sometimes need to deal with. So um, for me, again, I know it's different for everybody, but th the balance yeah. is really important. And just knowing, listening to your body and knowing when you're starting to feel fatigue um, or you're starting to feel like some, I, I know I'm always anemic. Okay, I got to up my iron. I got to up my protein and maybe cut back on some of the other things that I like that I've been enjoying. Um, I think mm -hmm. that balance is really important. I think those are great tips. Tell me a little bit, because you mentioned you're kind of battling a bit of a flare right now. Mm -hmm. So, and I mentioned in the beginning that, you know, you've shared before that you still have your down days of when you're Absolutely. not feeling great. So, so tell me, what are some of the things you've learned over the years when you do feel yourself going into a flare and you see these symptoms coming up? How do you, what are your tricks now, what do you do to help manage those and to kind of rein things in so that they don't escalate? So I think some of it for me is mental. Um, you have to wrap your head around the fact that this is a chronic illness. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be good days and bad days. And it's hard because you could feel great for weeks and all of a sudden something tanks and you can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, what I've learned is just to listen to my body. So, and I tell my husband that, you know, there's some days that you're fine. And then the next day I'm physically like, I cannot get out of bed. You need to take the day off of work because I can't move. And mm -hmm. so to have that support for me is huge to have somebody that understands that first of all. Um, but I think for me, listening to my body, being able to identify some of the, the precursor signs of something coming for me, usually it's fatigue um, or I'll dizzy spells or things like that. And I'm like, okay, if that's coming, I may not be seeing any blood yet, but it's most likely there's some bleeding going on. I'm probably anemic. I probably need to take it easy now before it gets to a point where I keep pushing myself where now, you know, I need to go to the hospital because I haven't been taking care of myself. So mm -hmm. I think being able to know what your warning signs are of something coming. And again, after 18 years, it, that's not something I can do overnight. It's something that took years of understanding and listening to my body to be able to figure that out. Um, mm -hmm. And then, like I said, typically what I'll do is I'll try to rest more, drink a lot of water. Um, and then tweak my diet as much as possible to, to remove all of the things that I know cause issues. Um, 
exercise for me is a huge piece of it. Um, I feel like it keeps me sane and healthy and it helps me to make good food choices because you just put all this work and you don't want to come home and, you know, eat a whole pizza and then mm-hmm. undo what you just did. So for me, it helps keep me on the straight and narrow. And I've also tried to add in, and I'm not as good at this as I wish I was because I do find it beneficial, but like journaling and meditation. Um, mm-hmm. I found that that really does relax my mind because stress is a huge trigger for me and finding ways to manage that stress. Um, you can never completely get rid of stress. So finding ways that can help you manage your stress on a daily basis is so important. Mm-hmm. Well, you just touched on a lot of things I want to dig into a little bit here. But one of the things you mentioned there was wrapping your head around that this is a chronic illness and just mm-hmm. that mental aspect what do you think was the biggest reason or the biggest way that you were able to do that for yourself? How do you, when the flares happen, how do you remind yourself that this is just a hiccup in the journey? Kind of how did you go through that process of wrapping your head around this disease? I think it's hard because I know for myself, when you go through a prolonged period where things are good, you almost forget. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I, there's, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm completely healthy. I'm just like everybody else. And then when that hits, you're like, oh, man, I'm not. And I forgot how much this sucks. Um, so a lot of it is mental. But I think I just always go back to, okay, you know, I know there's ups and downs. Right now is a bad time. Things are going to be hard for maybe the next month, two months, whatever. Um, I've found, and it may sound funny, but like on Instagram, um, opening mm-hmm. that, that account was hard for me because. I haven't found as much support within my friends, if you will, like in yeah. person. People don't understand. Um, it's hard for them to understand how you can be standing in front of them one day and feel fine and the next day feel like you got hit by a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, people, people who don't deal with this don't understand that. So it was great for me to be able to find a community of people that get it and are supportive because they've been in your shoes. And then to be able to look at things and say, you know, okay, today you might not be able to get out of bed, but, you know, two months ago you ran a half marathon. Look what you did. (laughs) And be proud of your accomplishments, you know. So try to focus on the things that you can do. Or for me, I'm a goal setter. So if I say, okay, right now I feel like crap, but six months from now I want to run a half marathon, put it on my calendar, sign up, and then I have something I'm working towards. And that tends to keep me me more positive um, to have a goal and have something that I'm working towards. So even if you have the bad days, knowing every day isn't going to be a bad day, And I think the other thing is being honest about it. I used to hide it if I was having a bad day. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. Now I'll say to come home to my husband and say, or my parents or whoever, and say, I'm having a really bad day. I feel horrible. I'm upset. I'm discouraged. And, you know, just being able to be open and talking about it with people that you, that you can find that support you, whether it's an online community, whether it's family members, whether it's friends, whoever it may be. Um, finding somebody that can support you because we're human and we're going to have those bad days and we need to be reminded that it's okay. We'll get through this. Mm-hmm. Tons of great advice right there. Thank you for for sharing all that. Tons of great advice. And I, I've got to agree, our IBD community that we have uh, online or in person is just phenomenal. People are so mm-hmm. ready to talk and share experiences. And it's just the fastest way to know that you're not alone, that someone right. else is going through this too. So you mentioned fitness and exercise is also being one of the methods of helping you heal and keeping you free from flares. So tell me, has fitness always been a part of your life or is this something that you've kind of just gotten into as you've gone through this process? It's always been sort of a part of my life, but I definitely say it's picked up 
immensely in the last maybe five years, um, four or five years. I mean, I, I was always um, interested in fitness. I would, I was a runner back in the day. Um, had done like eight half marathons. Not a fast runner, but I could run. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I liked having something to train for. I liked racing. I liked the whole running community. And then after I started having kids, and actually one of the side effects of um, the prednisone ended up giving me arthritis in my hip at 35. So hmm. I kept trying to run and I, I just physically couldn't. It, it was so painful. Um, so about 35, I gave up running and said, well, I need something else to do. Like, I don't know what it is. And it took me a while to find something that I really enjoyed. And I had a friend who kind of pushed me into spinning. Um, she was somebody that I ran with. And she had had the knee replacement. So she said, well, I can't run. You can't run. Let's go. Let's try this. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I got really into spinning for the last maybe like probably about three years. Um, and it was it was a great outlet. I met a great group of people. It was something that I looked forward to. I'd never miss a class. You know, I try to go three times a week um, at, at a minimum. And then after I had my son, my, my third baby, I kind of said, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while. I want to change it up. And I started working with a trainer and doing more strength training and just, and I've never done weights before. Absolutely fell in love. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been doing that now for about a year and a half, um, a couple times a week, three to four times a week. And then my husband, my sweet husband just bought me a Peloton for my 40th birthday. So, <laughs> so now I have that at my house too. So I'm, I'm actually now up to probably five to six times a day or day a week um, <laughs> doing some sort of exercise. And I've honestly never felt better, more energized. And it's not like about the weight loss or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. more just, it's a stress reliever. I feel good and positive. The community that I've built um, with my fitness friends has been amazing. And I just, you know, my husband says you come home and you're just happy and relaxed. And oh, so awesome. to me, that's, it's, it's mostly honestly for my mental health. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Everything else is a side benefit of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's great. So tell me, you mentioned that's a, serves as also a great stress relief for you. And as a mom of three, <laughs> I'm sure you have plenty of stress, as you mentioned, and it's definitely key for managing our flares. So what are yep. some of the other things that you find are ways that help you to manage stress and keep everything on a nice, even keel? So I think the exercise is very important for me. I think, again, support system is huge. Um, I've had a hard time asking for help when I needed it. And that's something I'm mm -hmm. still working on. You know, my husband will tell me that my parents will tell me that at work, they'll tell me that They're like, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you don't have to take everything on. Um, mm -hmm. and that's just who I am. It's, it's very difficult for me to say, you know, I can't do this. I need help. And that's something I'm working on and saying no. Um, you know, a lot of people, oh, do you want to come here? Do you want to do this? And there's some days where you're just so exhausted and you feel guilty saying no, but it's, it's in the best interest of your health. So, um, that's something I'm also working on. So being able to have, you know, a manageable day without shoving too much things in there, that's going to add extra stress or pressure to myself, being able to say no to things and not mm -hmm. feel like I'm disappointing people. And I think some of it's, you know, quiet time, um, you know, whether it's finding a new Netflix show that you like and sitting on the couch and binging for two hours, some nights or reading a book. I I used to love to read. And with the kids, I don't do that nearly as often as I'd like. And I joined a book of the month club this year mm -hmm. so that it would force me to read a new book every month. And I've really enjoyed that. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I've been trying meditation and journaling. I'm a spastic person by nature. So it's very difficult for me to sit and do quiet activities, but I'm really, really trying. Um, and I've also just started um, ex 
kind of exploring some alternative therapies. Like I went to a cupping session. I had somebody do that mm. and found that absolutely amazing. Um, so they're doing body work while it's also kind of redistributing your blood flow. And afterwards, I felt great. So that's something I'd like to try again. Um, I've been researching uh, this, what is that, the the float therapy and some of these other mm -hmm. things that we have now. Um, just, again, more for, it's not going to help with your disease as much, but it helps with stress management and tension release and all of that stuff contributes. So I think the more healthy we can keep our mind, um, you know, that's really connected to your gut. So to be able to take care of your, mm -hmm. your mind and your mental health is so important and keeping your physical health in, intact. So true. Our bodies are so complex that it's amazing how one thing that we don't necessarily think is related to the disease or, you know, something like sleep. Well, that doesn't mm -hmm. have anything to do with my gut, you think, but yet it does. There's so many right. different things that just all come into play and all work together synergistically. Absolutely. That's pretty, pretty neat. So, so as a mom of three, do you have any tips for other IBD moms? Uh, hang in there. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Um, but I also, you know, let go of some of the guilt on the days that you can't, you know, take them to the park and run around and go on walks and things. There's some days where I need to take a nap. So, mm -hmm. you know, if I put on a movie for an hour and lay down on the couch, I'm not the worst mom in the world. It's okay. I need to do that for myself. So I think cutting ourselves a little bit of slack is important. Um, some of the stuff you can't control, but I found getting organized helped with the stress piece of it. My son started kindergarten this year. And so we instituted a whole new calendaring system and papers mm. that come home from school system so that, you know, it wasn't the night before, oh, we need to do this and you need to run out to the store and do this. So I felt like the more organized I was, um, and the more I could plan for things that I can do them on my time, not when, you know, last minute or rushing around the birthday parties, all that stuff, um, being able to have that all kind of planned out as much as you can in advance so you're prepared um, has helped me a lot. And Amazon Prime and <laughs> grocery <laughs> delivery. <laughs> yes. I don't have kids and those help me a lot. <laughs> they are amazing. And, you know, every now and then I don't have dinner. Guess what? Uber Eats. You know, I mean, we've... <laughs> We live in a society now where there's a lot of things that can be done for you, which is amazing. Um, yeah. So don't feel bad doing those things. I mean, one of the things we offloaded was we hired somebody to help clean the house, which I had mm -hmm. a hard time with at first. I said, this this feels weird to have somebody else come in and clean my house and I should be able to do that. But, you know, we'd end up spending, my husband and I both work and we'd end up spending half of our weekend cleaning the house. And yeah. it was time away from our kids. It was something that was stressful. And you know what? We were lucky that we are able to afford it. We bring somebody in twice a month and and they do it. And that's been a huge stress relief for us, both of us, um, to be yeah. able to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, where you can take help or where you can outsource things, it's okay to do that. That's fantastic. Great, great tips. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world to be able to do that. Right. So I want to pick your brain a little bit more because you've mentioned that you've tried to do some different mindfulness practices and meditation, mm -hmm. but but it's kind of hard because you're you're all over the place and you want to just go go go. <laughs> so right. is there is that something that you continue to try to practice? And then are there different things that you've done to try to put yourself in the right frame of mind to allow yourself to do a little bit more of that meditation? Yeah, it is definitely something I'm trying to practice. Um, I was setting myself a goal of once a week 
Um, in our office at work, we did have a meditation room, so I'd put it on my calendar. And again, scheduling-wise, on there, make a point to, to carve out some time of your day to do that. We've since moved offices, and I've lost sight of that. So I think that's part of it is I just need to put reminders on my calendar or something to say, take a half an hour and go breathe, go sit outside, mm -hmm. go do something and just be quiet or still for, you know, even if it's five minutes, it helps. Mm -hmm. um, because I had never meditated before, and I started more with like the guided meditations and then just kind of went to music, um, listening to music on um, an app that I use. And it's it's amazing how much you, you kind of wake up and you're like, I feel like I'm in a fog, but after you're done, but there's so much clarity afterwards and you are just completely relaxed. It's like, I don't know if you've ever taken a yoga class, but just like the Shavasana mm -hmm. at the end of yoga, but it's like that for mm -hmm. like 15 minutes, which is amazing. Um, so I do think it's super beneficial and it's something I'd absolutely like to incorporate more frequently, even if it's, you know, three times a week or whatnot. So I just have to get better about scheduling time for myself, which is something I know a lot of people struggle with is, you know, the me time thing. Yeah, definitely. But it's important. Are there absolutely. any apps? Are there any apps that you use to kind of go through that guided meditation? Um, I know there's a lot of apps coming out. I've heard people talking mm -hmm. about them. I've never tried any, but are any of those things or tools that you've used? The one I use is called Insight Timer. Um, it's a free app. I think you can pay to have upgrades, but there's you can search by, um, you know, timed meditation. Is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Is it an hour? Um, you can mm -hmm. do just music. You can do guided meditations. They have different things of, hey, I need a pick-me-up. Um, you know, and, and you can pick different practitioners that you like and favorite them and, and follow along with theirs, um, which has been great. So I think it's a great way to start if you haven't tried it before, because mm -hmm. I know um, any times I've tried to just do it, okay, just sit quietly and still your mind. You know, I'm sitting there making grocery lists or I'm okay, after I'm done with this, <laughs> I got to do this and this and this. And that's not yep. the point. So I personally needed the distraction of either another voice telling, you know, saying things or chanting mantras or whatnot, or just even the music for me kind of zoned me out enough that it got me out of my own head. That's good. That sounds like a great resource. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit, you mentioned earlier that talking about IBD was not something that you have always done. So what mm -hmm. compelled you to really, I mean, you kind of mentioned starting this Instagram. So what compelled you to start that and really start sharing more of your own story and journey with ulcerative colitis? Well, I mean, I think most people find it difficult because, you know, we don't have a sexy disease here. It's not, I mean, yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to talk about bowels and colons and poop. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's something most people shy away from because it's, it's embarrassing. Um, so I didn't talk about it for the longest time. I remember even when I started dating my husband, he saw my giant bottle of pills and was like, well, kind of what's wrong with you? And I said, oh, nothing. I just have stomach issues. Oh, okay. You know, I just kind of glossed over it because I think the other thing for me that was difficult, again, is coming to terms with, hey, I have a chronic lifelong illness that has no cure. Um, yeah. That's not that's not something that's easy to talk about. Or it's, even if, if it's just admitting it to yourself, being able to say that out mm -hmm. loud. So, I mean, it took me, I was diagnosed in 2001. I don't think I spoke publicly about it until 2012. Um, it just took me a long time. And at that point, um, I mentioned I was into half marathons. My, uh, my husband and I found Team Challenge through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and they do half marathons where you raise money for Crohn's and Colitis research and, you know, go out and we ran the Vegas mm -hmm. half marathon. And we, I said, well, I don't know if I want to do this. Let's go, you know, go to the, we'll go to the meeting and, and hear more about it. 
And we sat in and we listened in and I was like on the fence and he's like, no, we are signing up tonight. We're doing this. And I said, okay, all right. He's like, you need this. I said, okay. So we did. And then as part of that, you have to go out and solicit donations. So you have to go mm -hmm. tell your story. Um, and I wrote a letter and explained my whole story from my perspective. He wrote, he put some verbiage in there about his, you know, being a caretaker. Yeah. And we sent it out to basically everyone we know. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. Um, but the responses were overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive. It was, you know, amazing. I think we raised $3,000 in the first week, something wow. like that. It was insane. And when we lined up to start that race, we had to raise, I think, 7500 We were at like $13,000 or something ridiculous wow. like that. I, I couldn't believe it. And I said, you know, people, the more people I told, oh, my aunt has that, my cousin has that, this person has that. So every, it affected a lot more people than I knew. And I, you know, for the first time, I didn't feel alone because um, no one I know has it. Nobody in my family has it. I'm the only one. So it was like, you know, is this a common thing? What's going on? And so once you put it out there, all these people came out because I think it was the same thing. Nobody ever wanted to say anything. Um, mm -hmm. And then they had asked me to go on like our local TV show and kind of do a segment for Crohn's and Colitis Awareness Week. So I said, okay, I'm going on the news and talking about my colon. Sure. Okay. This is a little bit scary, but you know, I realized we're never going to raise the awareness we need to if no one ever speaks up. Um, and exactly. there's, there's nothing wrong with us. You know, we didn't choose this. This is something that happened. And it's important for people to know that other people know what you're going through, um, to hear success stories, to hear things that have gone wrong with people and that they've come out of it. Because I feel like otherwise, you know, you just kind of fall into a, a depression if it's like, okay, I've got this lifelong illness that has no cure and I'm going to be like this forever. If nobody ever talks about it and you feel alone, to me, that's debilitating. Um, yes. So once I got over the initial fear of it, you know, I've never had a bad reaction to telling someone. Nobody's ever said, oh, that's disgusting, or I can't believe you're, you're telling me that. It's always been super positive and super supportive. Um, so now, like, you know, every year at my office, I send out an email to 100-something people, hey, I'm raising money again. And um, <laughs> I said, my entire office knows at this point. So there's, it, it, it's not something, it makes us different, but not in a bad way. It, it is what it is. And so the more we talk about it and the more awareness we raise and the more funds we raise, hopefully we come closer to finding a cure or better treatment options or things of that nature. And you, you're never going to get there if you keep quiet. Exactly. So well said. And what an incredible little journey of having this become the advocacy for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Not talking about it to sending out letters to everyone you know to be <laughs> on TV. <laughs> so has, has the more you've talked about this and shared your story and met other people, has it shaped how you view uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis over the years? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it's really helped kind of reinforce that no two cases are the same. Um, mm -hmm. It affects everybody differently. Um, I remember going into my doctor one time and I had red spots all over my legs. And she said, or it was a different doctor at this point. And he said, that has nothing to do with your colitis. I said, okay, but for me, every time before I have a flare, I get these red spots on my legs. Nope, it's not mm -hmm. a colitis symptom. And I, said, and I was 21. So I said, okay, sure. It's not a colitis symptom. And now I've learned to trust myself because I see you know, somebody may get bloody noses. Somebody gets eye irritation. I get red spots that sprout up on my legs. You know, it's 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's bodies are different and we all are going to experience symptoms and flares differently. And I think being able to talk about things openly and see what other people's journeys are is really helpful and making you feel like you're not crazy. You know, just because it's yeah. not on a list of symptoms somewhere um, doesn't mean that that it's not or, you know, what's going on with you is is not important. Um because we're all so different. And as you said before, our bodies are so complicated that, you know, I'm, you know, I I get carpal tunnel every now and then. Okay. It's a joint flare up. So some days that's bothering me. The next day my eye is crusted over with eczema. Okay. That's probably Mm -hmm. related. I mean, autoimmunes affect your body in so many different ways. It's not just the gut for us. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I know that my horizons were broadened. The more people's stories I heard and the more experiences I've heard to say, oh, okay, this isn't just, you know, it's not just this list of symptoms. And, you know, if you have this, X, Y, Z happens. Everybody's journey is different. So I think getting a better understanding of that and and hearing other people's journeys has really helped to say, you know, there isn't, there is no one cure-all for this because we're all so different. Mm -hmm. So what works for one person may not work for you and that's okay. Um, You know, it's take all of the advice you get with a grain of salt because everybody likes to give you advice. Um, you, you're going to know your body better than anybody else. And so be confident and be comfortable with that and do what works for you. Yeah. So well said. And I think just to tack on to the end of what you just said there, that we know our bodies so much better. I, I think we also need to learn to trust ourselves more. Like Mm -hmm. we, I think we innately know when something is wrong, just like you were saying with the red spots on your legs or whatever it may be. I think we as individuals know when there's something wrong and something isn't right or the way it should be. But so often doctors or other people will just kind of brush it off like, no, it's not related or no, that might just, you know, it's nothing, but it's a sign. And so I think we need to trust ourselves to listen to those things too. Cause I know that's something I, I still work with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I would never tell folks to not listen to their doctors or dismiss what they say. Mm -hmm. But I have had people reach out to me and say, well, how did you handle this? And I said, look, here's my opinion. This is just my opinion. Your doctors are there to provide you advice based on their knowledge and their experience. Do your own research. Know your body. Find Mm -hmm. what your comfortable levels are. And it's okay to say no to them. This is your health. It's your journey they're looking at one piece of the puzzle and they're giving recommendations based on what works for 80 or 90% of people. That's their job. But mm-hmm. it may not work for you. And, or you may say, I don't want to do that. I want to try this, this, and this first. And they're going to tell you, no, in my experience, that doesn't work. Doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. For me, it's a combination of listening to their advice, but doing your own research and coming up and making a plan that works for you. You know, obviously, if my health went downhill and I had a really bad flare that I couldn't control, first thing I do is call my GI and say, I need meds. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say I refuse to go on meds ever. I'm trying to manage this as best as I can. And right now I'm lucky. I've had a four-year period where I haven't had to have any meds. If in six mm-hmm. months everything comes to a screeching halt and I need to go on medication because that's what I need, I'm going to do it and then hopefully work my way back here. It's it's a journey. Um but we're in charge of that journey. It's not just blindly accepting what other people tell you to do because you fit in this box and so you need to do this. We don't fit in the box. So I think we all need to own Mm -hmm. our journeys and do our own research and make sure that, you know, you're comfortable and go in knowing what all of the 
potential complications of each of your decisions are, the complications, the risks, the side effects, whether you choose to go on medication, whether you choose to get off, you know, and, and weigh those things with your lifestyle. And I mean, it's, it's our health and it's our life and we're the ones who have to live with it. So I think it's, it's, you get thrown so much advice and things that people tell you to do. And again, I'd never tell somebody to just disregard what their doctor said or stop meds altogether. You want to be safe and you want to be healthy, but you also want to live your life and have quality of life. So I think it's a balance and it's, it's tough. And it, that's, it took me 18 years to get here. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is something that's going to happen overnight for folks. Yep. I agree with you 100% and definitely well said and some great insight. So if people want to keep up with you and follow your IBD journey a little bit more, where can they follow you online? So I have an Instagram profile called the ulcerative colitist because I think my, my, uh, my colon is elite. You know, we, we are an elite group of people here. Um, and on there, I typically talk about- I like that. I was reading it as ulcerative colitis dist- no, like kind of thing, colitis. but I like, the, I like ulcerative colitis. I like that. Um, and it's really more just about, you know, my, my fitness and, and health journey. So there's some things on there about, you know, fitness routines and things that I do. Some is food. Some I just put my family on there because um, that's part of my life. Some is um, mm-hmm. just around, you know, hey, I'm having a bad day. I'm, I'm sick today. I'm having issues with my anemia. Here's what I'm doing. Um, I try to keep mine as positive and upbeat but real as possible. Um, this is, this is a Mm -hmm. journey. And so again, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And I do try to, if people reach out and are looking for, um, advice or just to chat, um, I've gotten a bunch of newly diagnosed people that are trying to navigate and kind of said, Hey, how did you get to, to your, this point in your journey? What did you do? Um, and I'm happy to chat with folks if, if they'd like insight, you know, I'm not trying to be an influencer or anything. I'm just trying to meet like-minded people who are going through the same thing that are looking for, um, you know, resources and things. Again, I've acquired 18 years of knowledge for myself, and I'm happy to Mm -hmm. share that with whoever wants to listen. (laughs) That's wonderful. And thank you for putting that out there and being a resource for Mm -hmm. people and being willing to, to answer those questions. Cause I know that takes time and it's, it's one more thing in your day, but it's greatly appreciated for the people they do reach out. So thank you. Well, it's for positive that. for me too, because I know again, when I was diagnosed, there wasn't a lot of resources outside of your GI. There, there wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. I, I realize I'm a little older here, so there wasn't a lot of um, online resources that you could go and read things about. You know, they handed me a couple of pamphlets and that was kind of it. Um, I didn't ever, yeah. t- for 10 years, I didn't talk to anybody else that had it. So it was, it, I find it helpful to hear other people's journeys. Oh, that worked for you. That didn't. Okay. Maybe I'll try that. Maybe, you know, maybe that didn't work for you, but I can try it. That's a great idea. Um, so I just think building a community and, and, and being open and honest about things that you're going through, whether they're positive, whether it's a struggle, um, is just really helpful for all of us. And again, mentally, it's nice to know that you're not alone. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. So we covered a lot of topics today. <laughs> Is there anything I did not ask that uh, you wanted to share? Um, no, I think I think we've hit on on most of the things. So um, again, I, I appreciate you reaching out. Um, it is a topic that I'm passionate about. Obviously, something that I think is important. It's it's something that even if you're having a good day, you're managing this on a day to day basis every single day of your life. Um, I know I wake up in pain pretty much every day and it's hard to just ignore it and keep going, Mm -hmm. but that's how we have to, that's how we have to go. Um, so 
I think it's really important to keep talking about it, keep it at the forefront, make sure people understand that it's not just, hey, I have a bad stomach and I get sick, that there's a lot of other pieces to these diseases that are very serious. Um, you know, when I tell people I have to have uh, colonoscopies every two years because my risk of colon cancer keeps going up and up, they kind of look at me like, oh my God, are you serious? I said, yeah, this isn't just, hey, I have mm -hmm. diarrhea. Um, it's so much more than exactly. that. And I think there's so much more awareness that we need to spread and so much more advocacy we can do um, in the next, you know, hopefully the next couple of years. But um, that, and that's really my goal is to just kind of keep the message out there and, you know, first and foremost, let people know that there's a community and they're not alone, but also continue to educate folks that these are serious um, and people are dealing with this every day. So I think the more we can talk about it, the, you know, keep it at, at the forefront, the, the more uh, traction we're going to get and hopefully we'll see some results. Definitely. I agree. Well, thank you again for doing your part in raising awareness and sharing your messages and being here on the show talking with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out. I'm happy to do it. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn'sFitnessFood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.